And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. John Vance. Great to be here, Dan. Well, it's nice to have you here. And um, I know our listeners can't see this, but uh, we're actually in a different studio today. So if the background noises or whatever sound a little different, that is the reason. You know, last week at the same time, we were talking a little bit about the idea of why do bad things happen to good people. And one of our listeners commented on Facebook suggesting that we ought to consider the corollary, and that is why do good things happen to bad people. And at first you think, oh, that's just a play on words, but uh, it's actually a serious question, and it's a very good question. Why do good things happen to bad people? We can think of very evil people in this world, and uh, yet uh, they partake of some of the same benefits and graces that uh, we do, who are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, there it is. There's the question from the listener. Why do good things happen to bad people? We see, uh, uh, Dan, we see that in the in the Old Testament, the psalmist, in fact, raises the question over and over, why do the, the unrighteous prosper? The wicked mm. at times do. And it was a question, uh, why? And uh, that is a question, that, of course, that has, that has reverberated, if you will, uh, in the minds of uh, believers down through the centuries from uh, the ancient times to the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do good things happen to bad people and and we see that and experience that uh in every day in fact uh we have to be warned over and over uh in the scriptures not to envy the uh, unrighteous in their sometimes uh power and mm. their glory and their goods yeah went down the path of possible envy because um the psalmist in psalm 73 talks about himself, and he says, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Yes. So Mm -hmm. uh, that concept is there for sure um, from the saints of old, and it's easy, just like the psalmist, to have it disturb you greatly and actually pull down your Christian faith. Yes, it, uh, it it is true, uh, because it raises questions beyond. It's not just a, a question about materialism, about what you have or what someone else has. Uh, the question goes to the heart of what is God like mm-hmm. and in his justice? Why would he allow the wicked to prosper? Yeah. And so it becomes more than just a matter of someone has more than you do as you were kids, remember, when I grew up with uh, three siblings, and whenever we divided things up, like uh, uh, a piece of pie or something, we had a pie or we got a cut of pie, we made sure that yeah. everybody got an equal amount, and yeah. we went to great lengths to make sure that nobody got more than the other. Well, I don't think that that really is the troubling uh, aspect of this. The troubling aspect is, uh, why does God allow good things yeah. to happen to bad people. So right. that is the question that it raises. It goes to the justice of God. Now, um, before our first break, maybe we ought to talk about what we mean by this quote-unquote bad people. You know, we have in our mind people that, that do evil or do wrong to somebody, whatever. But uh, how does God look at it in terms of who is bad? 
What's interesting uh, uh, question? I've heard this uh, approached in many ways. Uh, I do like uh, the the comments that I've heard. Uh, th- this may have been uh, R.C. Sproul. I don't know. I-, I will attribute it to him. I think he gets a lot of things attributed to him. That's all right. <laughs> he is a-, a good expositor uh, of the scriptures and a, a-, a great preacher as well. Uh, but think of God's holiness, and God in himself is of infinite distance from the best of us. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about human badness or even human goodness – uh, we are talking uh, about a badness, unrighteousness, if you will, wickedness, or a goodness that is benevolence and generosity that we find in a person. Uh, in in one sense, even the best among us is as filthy rags before a holy God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, says the prophet. Mm. And so in one sense, uh, the kind of distinctions that we make, we only make among ourselves, but in the sight of a holy God – We're all utterly undone and unrighteous. Yeah, that's helpful. So um, you could compare man to man relative to each other, and some will appear better than others for sure. But when we take the imperfection of man, no matter how bad he is, no matter how good he is, when you compare that to the perfection of Christ, there is no comparison. There is no comparison. (laughs) So the scriptures do talk about the righteous and the unrighteous, but again, Uh, It has to do with a standard uh, that is comparing human with human here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What we'll do is we'll take a short break. Today we're talking about the corollary of last week's discussion, why do good things happen to bad people? In the studio with me today is Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. You're tuned to Redeemer Broadcasting's A Plain Answer. Stay with us now. We'll be right back. Surely... God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, 
Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me today is Dr. John Vance. We have an interesting question before us today that one of our listeners brought up. That is the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Seems like um, the human psyche is set up by God such that we have a sense of justice. And when justice is not perceived, it bothers us. And, and as well it should, because we are made in the image of God. We're um, subject to his moral laws, and so we have a sense of these things. Of course, our sense can be uh, dulled, and um, the further into sin we go, um, it seems like the less we, we have a sense of, of really doing wrong. But um, I digress. So that's the question, why do good things happen to bad people? So far we talked about God's holiness and how that he is, in one sense, infinitely removed from the best of us. I think, John, you mentioned that very phrase. Now let's talk about uh, something that theologians sometimes use a word here called common grace. Uh, what exactly is meant by that phrase? Well, the word common, of course, uh, means that it is accessible to all, regardless of their state of, uh, of faith or grace in Christ. Uh, there are benefits uh, for all. God uh, created, of course, he created every human being in his own image, and in his image he created them, male and female, the scriptures mm. say. Now, there are a few things about that. Uh, scholars do debate as to what exactly is the image of God. They call it the imago dei, to use a high-fluting mm-hmm. Latin terminology. Uh, what is the image of God? Well, it's what a human being is in relation to another human being. Remember that it has to do with communication, male and mm-hmm. female, uh, the aspect of communicating. Human beings are extraordinary when you consider them in the light of the whole of creation. We have an extraordinary power to reason, to feel, to enjoy beauty, and a whole range of things. And when we fell into sin, we did not cease to be in the image of God, but what we did do in our fall in Adam was that all of our human faculties were compromised. We Mm. don't reason as well as we should. Our bodies are not as sound as they should be. Our emotions uh, do not love those things they should love and hate those things they should hate. We do not always do what we're supposed to do, even though we know better. And what the Scriptures teach is that we have fallen to the degree, not that we have lost our maybe not perfect now sense of justice and Mm -hmm. those things, But what we cannot do is uh, save ourselves, or we cannot seek God, and we do not want to seek God in ourselves. We seek our own. Mm -hmm. But we still have a sense of justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though each man and each woman uh, 
in real sense, in Scripture terms, we have turned to our own way. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? It means then that we're still part of a creation that God made and he declared good, and it does yield its benefits uh, through creation, but also through the cross of Christ, it yields its benefits to all regardless. He, Jesus yes. indicates this when he says that he makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. That's true. And his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. So there are benefits through creation and through redemption to fallen human beings. That's good. So that uh, helps us understand a little bit this uh, interesting term called common grace. Um, You mentioned the fall of man into sin, and uh, just as a reminder, um, a good section to read on that is Romans chapter 3, where it talks about the whole world being guilty before God. And so it is important as we look at this world and as our, we look at our fellow man to realize that, yes, we have inherited Adam's sin, Adam's guilt. It's been passed on to us. And so that is why uh, God tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And uh, there is none who understands. Significantly, there's none who seeks after God. And um, if we break that apart a little bit, and that may be a point of another discussion and another plain answer program. But just briefly, do we see people seeking after God? And if we do, does it mean that this verse is incorrect when it says there's none who seeks after God? Well, there is a sense uh, which that must be understood. Uh, There's no question uh, that in the truest sense and the most fundamental sense that the sinner seeks those things in the world for himself and seeks his own interest. In other words, mm-hmm. in the fall, we ceased to be God-centric and we became self-centric. Mm. Or, if you will, we ceased to be God-centered and we became human-centered or self-centered. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we do seek something. Now, we still have that God gap, if you will, that God space or spot oh, in our hearts. And um, uh, what do we seek? Well, I I do believe that every last person in one sense, at the deepest level, uh, seeks God. But here's the difference. We seek God on our own terms, not on his terms. That's helpful, yes. In other words, that's why the Scripture says no one seeks after him. Not Mm -hmm. that they do not seek and long for the eternal in some ways, Mm -hmm. but it is sought, if you will, in blindness and the self-centered person seeks God's in their self-centered mm. way. It is only through Christ that we are, if you will, delivered from that cycle of destruction mm-hmm. and enabled to behold our interest in God in Christ. And then we turn to him. That's what the Scripture talks about, repentance, or so-and-so came to themselves. Mm. That kind of language, meaning that God has broken through that yeah. self-centeredness. That's helpful. Man starts to seek after God when um, actually God seeks him. Exactly right. (laughs) Uh, Mark Diedrich isn't here today, but he had shared with us, maybe it was on a previous broadcast, um, what had happened with his son on the missionary field. His his son is a missionary pilot with Wycliffe. And one of the tribes um, had been ministered to uh, by a man of God for a number of years, but they hadn't reached the point where they had the word of God in their own language. And what happened was the tribal chief came to them at some point um, as God was working on his heart, 
And he admitted, we need the word of God in our language. Um, we are weary of our old ways. The theft was terrible in that society. You couldn't keep anything pinned down, as it were. It would just walk off. Mm-hmm. And the various crimes. And um, God was working in his heart. He was opening his eyes to see the need for salvation in Jesus Christ. And coupled with that is the word of God. God uses his word to... Um, open our eyes, to minister his truth to our hearts. In uh, John chapter 6, in that wonderful passage that I alluded to with another prior uh, broadcast, uh, it says, uh, Jesus says, you cannot come unto me unless the Spirit of God draw you. Mm-hmm. And that is the work of God drawing, uh, of course, a tribal chieftain uh, deeper and deeper into mm. an understanding of who God is. and. Yeah and uh, enabling him to receive him as his Lord and Savior. I hope that was the conclusion of Mark's uh, story, that they came to faith in Christ. Well, today we're talking about this interesting topic of why good things happen to bad people. And we've uh, discussed the notion of God's common grace. And it's not just a, a construct here that us humans make. It flows naturally from the Word of God. Uh, John, you mentioned that Jesus had said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Uh, uh, We partake of the sunshine and and the goodness in this world. You know, um, we also talked about the fall and how that we live in a a sin-cursed world, and yet, uh, even though it's sin-cursed, it's still not as bad as it could be. God has not abandoned his creation. Amen. And, um, you, you know, there's an interesting verse in connection with this. When the Apostle Paul is talking about doing good, he tells the Christians to do good unto all, especially those who believe. Now, why, why would we even doubt that God would be good to all? And, uh, of course, he is especially to those who believe. Yeah. Uh, but we are even charged. We, we, Jesus, when he taught the parable and told the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, uh, when when the Samaritan came upon the man who had been robbed and left for dead, he did not inquire as to his status in faith. He simply yes. gave him help and succor, showing that uh, uh, God used this good Samaritan, and Jesus taught us, do good unto all, hmm. especially though those who believe. Yeah. Uh, there's a marvelous uh, a verse uh, that I would like to just uh, – uh, share uh, and, and that is a uh, verse that we find in First Timothy chapter four, verse ten. It follows in some ways in this vein. Um, there, in that passage of scripture, I think we have the basis uh, for making a distinction between common grace and special saving grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that passage of scripture, you know, First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. And they're called that because the Apostle Paul is instructing his younger colleagues to carry on the work of the ministry, and those uh, letters have to do a lot with church order and how Christians should conduct mm-hmm. themselves. But in First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 10, we find this. For to this end, says the Apostle, we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God. Now, the we here, of course, he's referring to the Christian community. He and his followers believe in God through Jesus Christ. Uh, 
He goes on to say, because we trust in the living God, and notice how he describes the living God in the rest of that verse, who is the Savior of all men, Mm -hmm. especially those who believe. Now, the word Savior here, as uh, commentators will point out, means something like sustainer. And the word sustain here means that God sustains all of his whole creation providentially, but he especially sustains the life of those who believe and trust in him. And I think here is one of the places, only one, where we can make a distinction uh, in the death of Christ. While he died for all men, he did not die for all men alike. Mm -hmm. For instance, he died for all men that they might enjoy in their natural self, a natural life, and the creation, the sun, the rain, the goodness of life, and may even prosper in this world to a great and high degree. But in the atonement of Jesus for the elect, there is eternal life for those who come to him. And so the benefits for the believer are both temporal and eternal, while for the unbeliever, they are temporal. Yeah, I think that's very helpful to make that distinction. Um, this verse here, you know, on first blush, he's the Savior of all men. And if you misunderstood it, you would come to the conclusion of universalism, that, that all men are saved. But as you pointed out, this is this is a, a sustaining, a restraining Savior that all men partake of. And as he himself, from the text makes this comparison, this contrast, um, when he says, especially of those who believe. Well, of course, there, it's it's a special Savior. It's the one who redeems his elect. Also, in, to, to pick up on this, in Romans chapter 8, we have another uh, place where we have the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, in some ways being discussed in the context of redemption. And Paul does some wonderful things there. If you look in Romans 8, maybe starting at about uh, verse, oh, I'm going to say 21 mm-hmm. in Romans chapter 8. Of course, Romans 8 is so famous for so many <laughs> important verses, it's hard yeah. to just go and light on one verse, so to speak, and isolate it from the whole context. But here in chapter 8, uh, there is a high theology of the atonement, not only in the atonement is there a benefit for all persons, but the benefit is not the same, of course, for those who believe. It's deeper and eternal. But on the other hand, we see that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died not only for persons, but he died for the whole of creation to be restored. Yes. And he says, uh, notice what it says here, in uh, starting at verse 18. He says, Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage Mm -hmm. of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So uh, there is that wonderful uh, carol we sing at Christmas time, and uh, it talks about nature 
and uh, nature being redeemed. And so uh, the entire creation in one sense is redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the atonement of Christ is the absolute uh, center, if you will, of Scripture, his, uh, his death and his resurrection, and the whole creation is renewed through that death and that resurrection. Getting back to our listener's question, that is why good things happen to bad people. (laughs) <laughs> it, the, at the deepest level, it's because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It really is. Um, and it's an amazing atonement. Amazing love, says the poet. Amen. How can it be? And um, we sing those great hymns in the scriptures. Uh, Charles Wesley's Five Bleeding Wounds. What mm. those five bleeding wounds have accomplished. Yeah. It is utterly astounding. Now, we'll close today with this challenge. Uh, Maybe you're out there listening to this and saying, well, he's the Savior in a sustaining, restraining way, and that's really all I care about. I just want uh, a few goods in this world. I don't really care about anything else. Our challenge to you today is to uh, consider the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is extended to you such that he could be your special Savior. He could be Savior from your sins and redeem you for all eternity. This life is short. Um, Last year, I just lost my mother, and I was reminded of the brevity of life. And some of our friends now have died because, well, Debbie and I are getting a little bit older. And uh, we look back, we say, wow, where did Dennis go? Wow, where did Um, Morgan is gone? And um, they passed away. And so this this life has an end point. And uh, fortunately, we don't know the end point for our own lives. But your life is in the hands of God. And uh, if you're not a child of God, he's calling you today to himself. He's holding out the gospel to you, the good news, that by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Well, is there any wrap-up thought? I see we're out of time for today. Well, uh, closing, uh, you made me think, in your wonderful summary of the gospel there, you made me remember the psalmist's words, so teach us, Lord, to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And one of the ways that we are taught to number our days is to remember the cross of Jesus Christ, that he died for me, that I might have eternal life beyond that end. Yes, amen. Can't uh, improve upon that. You've been tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio with me today, Dr. John Vance. A reminder that a MP3 download is available free of charge on our website and linked to iTunes. And also, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 